This is the Truth Hurts Program. Welcome back to the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. It is May the 1st, 2023. It is a Monday. And I want to tell you another pretender, another story about a great pretender, a so-called transgender female, which means it's a guy with a penis who failed at being a man and is now pretending to be a female, has picked up an overall victory in the Tour of the Gila, G-I-L-A, like the Gila monster. Austin Killips is a transgender female, which means it's a dude pretending to be a girl. And it finished first place in the women's category in the Tour of the Gila, as he finished first place in the final stage of the event in New Mexico. Killips broke free from the pack in the final minutes of the race because he's a man and he has stronger leg muscles than women. Killips clocked in at 3 hours, 7 minutes, and 16 seconds, defeating a real woman in the women's competition. Her name was Marcella Prieto and Cassandra Nelson in that stage. Julie Kuliska, the team director of Killips' sponsor, the Amy D. Foundation, said afterwards, We really wanted to get into a break. We thought there was going to be something that would go right after the second sprint point, and we wanted a rider that breaks, so when Austin and the other GC riders came up to it, Austin would have someone to help and protect them, and it worked out perfectly. It's a dude. He's an ugly dude, but an even uglier pretend female. What a freak. And these days, with the focus on so-called transgender women competing against real women, you know, biological females taking center stage across the country, this failed male pretending to be a female was taking some heat on social media for the so-called victory. This is the same failed male pretending to be a female who, at the UCI Cyclocross National Championships in December of last year, was accused of pushing another competitor off the course, but of course it denied making that move in a statement. Killip's emergence on the cyclocross circuit was the reason that Hannah Arnisman, a 35-time winner on the national cyclocross circuit, said she retired from the sport completely. This individual, a real biological female, revealed her situation in an amicus brief filed to the Supreme Court in the hopes of keeping West Virginia's Save Women's Sports legislation in place back in March. Anyway, bottom line is, another fruity guy, failed at being a guy, can't win as a guy, like Leah Thomas, decides, well, I can't win the normal way because I'm not good enough to win in men's sports. I'll just pretend to be a woman then I can take home the trophy. To me, it's not a genuine win. I would give congratulations to the two real women who came in second and third, for they were the real winners here. Switching gears, Joe Biden has outraged many financial experts with his new rule that punishes buyers with good credit, stating it's a recipe for disaster. As the gropey Joe Biden administration's mortgage redistribution plan goes into effect, Leaders in the real estate industry have signaled it is one more boot on our neck in the housing market. Manhattan broker Brian Lewis, America's agent, said on the Mornings with Maria show on Fox News, I think that putting people in a position to take a place that they really can't make happen is a recipe for financial disaster. Under the new rules for the Federal Housing Finance Agency set to take effect today, borrowers with low credit score ratings and less money for a down payment will now automatically qualify for better mortgage rates than they otherwise would have, while those with higher credit ratings will have to pay increased fees to offset what we know is going to be a disaster. 
A person's credit score is one of the most important indicators of credit worthiness for lenders. It helps to determine if a prospective borrower will qualify for a loan, what interest rate will apply, and the likelihood that they will repay the loan. But you see, Joe Biden, he doesn't believe people should have to pay back loans. That's why the whole student loan forgiveness joke was put into effect. And according to a recent analysis from Bankrate, someone with below average credit score of 640 seeking to borrow $350,000 for a mortgage, if they put 20% down and paid 10,500 in fees before the new legislation, they now only have to pay $7,875. But someone with a 740 credit score exploring the same deal was paying $1,750 in fees before the new rules. Now they will pay $3,062 in fees. Does my industry need one more boot on our neck to hold us down? Interest rates have gone up just when we're getting our stride. And now this, Mr. Lewis said. Other real estate agents and economists have warned that the gropey Joe Biden policy will disproportionately impact responsible homeowners. Nest Seekers chief economist Aaron Sykes told Fox Business, it's an idea of fairness. It's really the responsible people who have done the right thing, who have kept their credit in check. They're being hit with another fee. We're all seeing the home sales data, seeing how much home sales are declining because of the Joe Biden-induced rising interest rates. And now we're adding this second whammy to those with good credit. Creditworthy home buyers who are now going to have to pay for other people's mortgages. I do think that some people who benefit from this program are not necessarily people who will not pay their loans back, but nobody paid for my ticket. I worked for it. I worked my way up. That's the way to do it. I grew my personal credit score, and many, many others have. So why penalize people who are already facing high interest rates under Biden's economy with these new fees? It's just not fair. Go woke, go broke. According to the article in Buzz Loving, Dylan Mulvaney's partnership with Maybelline, the makeup company, is now generating new calls for a boycott. That's right, Dylan Mulvaney, the most talked about social media freak thanks to the Bud Light campaign, is now facing a boycott of Maybelline products. A 26-year-old failed male, who now pretends to be a female, is facing backlash. Branding experts claim that this could cement the brand's connections with young people and transgender audiences, and that's all well and good for Maybelline. My question, though, is, what about real women? Do you think they might be a little upset? I think anyone and everyone associated with celebrating this aberrant lifestyle, this twisted, sick, mental illness type lifestyle, should have their heads examined. Alyssa Heinerscheid, Daniel Blake are both taking leaves of absences from Budweiser and now from Maybelline because people are finally waking up to realize that woke is a joke. Bud Light has a long road ahead, a 17% drop in sales the first seven days. The trend has continued. It dropped a whopping 21% in the week that ended April 15th, and it has not come back very much. After this freak, Dylan Mulvaney announced his partnership with L'Oreal-owned Maybelline, people are calling for a boycott. Sales are beginning to drop, and Dylan Mulvaney is finally speaking up telling his followers, It was so loud, I didn't like I was even feeling part of the conversation, so I decided to take a back seat and let them tucker themselves out. Despite the backlash, Mulvaney said, Then I remembered that nearly 13 million people at some point enjoyed me enough to hit the follow button on apps. Go woke, go broke. 
I don't wear makeup, so the Maybelline backlash and boycott won't bother me at all. But I'm still not drinking Bud Light, and I don't plan to anytime soon. The Daily Caller reports Biden's CIA director met with the pedophile island owner Jeffrey Epstein multiple times after a sex crimes conviction. This according to documents. Newly released paperwork revealed that the Biden-appointed CIA director William Burns met with the man who did not commit suicide, deceased financier and sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein, met with him on multiple occasions after he was convicted of sex crimes in Florida. The records show Epstein scheduled three meetings with Burns back in 2014 when Burns was the Deputy Secretary of State under Barack Hussein Obama and Joe Biden, according to the Wall Street Journal. The first meeting was planned for August in Washington, D.C. at the law firm of Steptoe & Johnson. The next two were booked at Epstein's Manhattan, New York townhouse, according to documents. Epstein planned on having Burns taken back to the airport after one of those scheduled meetings. A little bit of that going on, my friends. A CIA spokesperson told the Wall Street Journal that Burns met with Epstein as he was preparing to leave the government and did not know anything about him. He probably rode on the airplane with Bill Clinton and all the other sick, twisted freaks. But Bridal Magazine has decided to put a bearded, trans-feminine activist in a dress on the cover, and it's drawing backlash. Meanwhile, a Montana transgender lawmaker is ripping into colleagues who support a bill banning transgender medical treatments, as they're calling these destructive surgeries, for minors. Brides Today is a wedding publication for brides in the country of India. Dot, not feather. They've drawn backlash after featuring a trans-feminine person on the cover of the magazine. The so-called trans-poet, comedian, and activist Alak Vaidminan, who goes by Alak, is shown on several cover photos wearing women's wedding apparel, from jewelry to a head covering to a dress for the digital magazine. Brides Today shared photos on Instagram where they received widespread criticism from users, saying the photos are disrespectful to real women. The photos went viral with over 3 million views after being shared on the account End Wokeness on Twitter. The woke pandemic has reached India, the account tweeted. Several Twitter users responded in disbelief, asking if the photos were fake and posting vomit emojis. <laughs> I'm telling you folks, it is just getting out of hand. Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0 right here on planet Earth, as if we didn't learn the first time. According to the magazine Benzinga, Navdeep Yadav writes, Biden lags behind Trump in a new poll as approval rating hits all-time low. Gropey Joe Biden's approval rating has hit an all-time low right after announcing his re-election bid. According to a new poll released on Thursday of last week, Biden's popularity amongst Americans has fallen to the lowest point since his inauguration. The Gallup organization, supposedly the highly respected pollster, carried out the survey showing that 37% of American adults approve of Biden's performance as head of state. Let's do some math, shall we? Just shy of two-thirds of the entire American population, 63%, say that Biden sucks. They don't approve of his performance as head of state. That is the lowest rating since he took office. Comparatively, a whopping 59% of the respondents expressed their disapproval and others simply didn't respond. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's ratings are moving upwards. And if you want to compare Donald Trump's numbers to Joe Biden's numbers of the ninth quarter of his presidency, Joe Biden 
at 37% compared to Donald Trump, who was at almost 42% during that same period of time. Well, you people asked for it. You elected this clown, supposedly, and now you get to deal with what he is dishing out. Here's a quick headline for you. Shock as Biden forgets his recent trip to Ireland and had to be reminded by a child. Cognitively unfit by a mile. What was the last country you traveled to? One child asked Joe Biden during the Take Your Child to Work Day event at the White House last week. Joe Biden said, the last country I've traveled, I'm uh, trying to think. The last one I was in, I, I've been to 89. I've met with 89 heads of state so far. So, uh... I'm trying to think, what was the last? Where was the last place I was? It's hard to keep track. I was, um, um, and then a child yelled, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Ireland. Uh, that's, that's where it was. How'd you know that? Well, the child should have answered because I'm not a feeble, senile old coot, and I know where I was last week. Mark Siegel writes in the New York Post, No more hiding, Biden. We need to see tests that prove you're mentally fit to serve. A year ago, Mr. Siegel said his father, aged 99, was recovering from surgery when his doctor asked him, in order to check his orientation, who the President of the United States was. The dad said jokingly, effectively speaking, we don't have one. Now that he's heard President Joe Biden will seek re-election, Mr. Siegel's father wants to throw his own hat in the ring, claiming age is obviously no longer a factor. What if you win? The father, 99 years old, said, my first executive order will be able to allow the importation of Cuban cigars. While that might be a widely popular move, I would discourage Mr. Siegel's father from running. 99 is clearly too old. 80 is clearly too old, depending on your mental fitness. I had a good friend who had advanced dementia at age 55, and I know a guy who's 97 right now who is as fit as a fiddle when it comes to mental faculties. Joe Biden is not mentally fit. Age is not the only issue when it comes to Biden. Many people with mental and physical disabilities simply should not be the President of the United States. There are many people over the age of 80 with mental and physical ability that could effectively lead. In fact, only 11% of people Biden's age show signs of significant dementia, according to the National Health and Aging Trends study. But the number, however, increases to 20% when you get to 85 to 89 age group. That's the age group Biden will be in around the end of his second term. There are more subtle signs that may precede a frank dementia that clearly interfere with complex decision-making. Biden's own physician says it's impossible to fully assess his fitness. But when the man cannot remember a trip he took two short weeks ago to his ancestral homeland, that, my friends, is an issue. Earlier, I spoke about the Biden redistribution of wealth in his Mortgage Act that's going to punish people with good credit scores. We all know that that is a bad move. And according to the Fox Business News, Biden's mortgage redistribution plan may burden one minority group the most, according to experts. It's not the African American 13% double-A hyphenated American minority. No, the blacks will benefit most. It's not the Latino Hispanics. It's not the Native Americans. It can't possibly be white folks because they're not in a minority. No, my friends, it's the Asian American homebuyers who, as a group, have higher credit scores than any other racial demographic. According to a report by Investopedia, Asian Americans have an average credit score over 745. They're the only racial demographic with a rating classified as very good by the widely used FICO standards. A 745 average credit score for Asian Americans is 11 points higher than whites, who have an average credit score of 734. 
In fact, Asian Americans' average scores are well above Hispanic Americans, who average 701, and Black Americans, who average a pitiful 677. And it's not because the system is racist. The scores are based on people's history of repayment, history of late payments, other things that are factual, statistical. A person's credit score is one of the most important indicators of credit worthiness for lenders. It actually helps determine if a prospective borrower can qualify for a loan and what interest rate will apply, if not artificially tampered with, like Joe Biden is doing. I was told back when I took journalism in school that lying to a reporter was an unforgivable sin. The occasional political spin was not only accepted, but expected, but lying outright was a career ender to any reporter. Anything that was used to manipulate the story was career ending. Lie to a reporter, and not only would the reporter never trust you again, but it would ensure the fellow reporters that they knew of the transgression and they would avoid using you as a source. As the Director of Public Affairs at the U.S. Department of Justice in February 2024, Mark Corallo was routinely asked by reporters if the Justice Department had opened an investigation into the leak of CIA agent Valerie Plame's identity. On Friday, February 6th, Mr. Mark informed them that no investigation was open. It was then later learned that the criminal division had opened one night a late investigation without notifying anyone. Even the Attorney General's office was unaware. When the story about the investigation was leaked and broke on that Tuesday morning, Mark arrived at his office to a crowd of angry reporters who berated him with a barrage of four-letter words which were enthusiastically endorsed by their colleagues. Then she branded Mr. Corallo with a four-letter word bleeping liar. When she finished and the grumbling subsided, Mr. Corallo explained the timeline that he had not lied. The career attorney who launched the investigation vouched for him. He was eventually forgiven, but it's not an experience that anyone on either end of the government-media relationship wants to experience. At least that's what Mr. Corallo thought. I personally have defended some reporters throughout my career in broadcasting because I believed in an adversarial press. I believed that an adversarial press is important to accountability, to transparency. That an adversarial questioning press was the Republic's last line of defense against government tyranny. I've always considered myself a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, a mediator, a middleman, a conduit of information from the people's government to the free press. The rightful owners of information are the American people. But a lot about journalism has indeed changed since 1981, and perhaps many people are naive. What should not have changed, however, is the fundamental principle that reporters should expect their sources to simply tell the truth. And they should impose severe penalties when sources violate the principle. But yet, here we are in 2023. After all, how else can the press explain their ongoing relationships and use of intelligence officials as named sources in their reporting who flat-out lie about things like Hunter Biden's laptop? It was outright lies, claiming the laptop bared classic hallmarks of Russian disinformation campaigns. Former CIA Director Michael Morell lied. Former CIA Director Jim Brennan lied. Former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper lied. These liars lied to the press and they propped up the political campaign of one gropey Joe Biden. Those former intelligence chiefs lied to the press, fully expecting that the reporters would simply repeat the lie to the American people. And most of the press did. 
Those liars still hold lucrative gigs on cable news networks as so-called expert commentators. They're regularly used as on-the-record and no-doubt-off-the-record sources to the entire cadre of the Inside the Beltway journalist crowd. These liars frequent the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and they go to all of the high-end exclusive cocktail parties, especially the ones that were held this weekend, hosted by the so-called news organizations. These people are liars. The reporters knew they were lying. They knew that they had been deceived by them, and yet nothing has changed. The media still goes to these liars for their information, and they use the information and disseminate the information as if it were true, even though it came from the mouths of liars who were lying about the actual things they lied about. This has happened to the National Press Corps, and now they're willing to share misinformation, false information, and outright lies as if it is fact. It's not the first time or the worst example. Almost a century ago, the New York Times has still not fully rejected their relationship with Walter Durante, the Pulitzer Prize-winning Moscow correspondent whose stories in that newspaper covered up the Great Russian Famine and propped up Joseph Stalin and his slaughter of millions of citizens. But today, as new revelations come out about the Biden laptop and efforts to mislead the media and the public continue. Even today, as new revelations about the Hunter Biden laptop and efforts to mislead the media and the public continue to arise, those same news outlets betray whatever journalistic ethics they still think they possess. They fail to tell their fellow citizens they're not presenting unvarnished facts about the elected, appointed, career government officials who are stealing from us, lying to us, and cheating us. Maybe a little over a decade ago, the Hunter Biden laptop story and the role of foreign money, foreign influence peddling, and other criminal activity would have been a journalist or TV news operations ticket to the top, ticket to stardom and public appreciation. But today, for some reason, the national media looks the other way, fearful of being the dog that catches up to the car that it's chasing. According to a Gallup poll in 2022, the media's credibility with the public is at an all-time low. But yet, people still tune in every afternoon and many of them believe the lies they're being spoon-fed. If you say, but Donald Trump, that's not a legitimate excuse to be complicit in lies and disinformation to the people. I personally don't trust any of them. That's why I do this program. The truth hurts. Did I tell you that supposedly racism exists in bicycles? Well, everything else is racist, so why not two-wheeled bicycles? Why don't more people of color ride bicycles is a question. There's no singular reason, but according to an article that I read in Bicycling Magazine, Tanika Duhaney says, Safety may be a primary concern, but in communities of color with a high concentration of low to middle income residents, the lack of cycling infrastructure elements such as bike lanes, bike trails, or even road shoulders make cycling in the hood unsafe and impractical. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt for a moment. I think the reason that cycling is not so acceptable is that the black community has labeled it as a white supremacist thing. Rich, privileged white folks ride high-end bicycles. And if a black kid is seen on a high-end bicycle and he lives in the hood, it's a pretty good chance that bicycle is probably stolen. The stolen bicycle syndrome is permeating every black and brown-skinned neighborhood because bikes are generally pretty easy to steal. But according to this article, for every mile ridden, black cyclists are four and a half times more likely to be killed than white cyclists. Let's see. Dark night, black skin, wearing a black hoodie and black pants with black boots. 
no reflectors on a stolen bike, and you get hit riding in the middle of a street. Ah, sorry, just thinking out loud here. According to the Smart Growth in America Dangerous by Design 2021 report, the lower a metro area's median household income, the more dangerous its streets are likely to be for people walking or riding bicycles. This is unsurprising given low-income communities are less likely to have sidewalks, marked crosswalks, and street design to support safer, slower speeds. So wait a minute, you think the cities were built deliberately without all of these things? Remember, white people used to live there. Then they made more money, got sick of the crime, and moved away. Of course, the article says, without such infrastructure, black and Hispanic residents face the greatest risks. According to a Harvard and Boston University study assessing racial disparities and traffic fatalities for every mile walked, black people are twice as likely to be killed by cars when compared to white pedestrians. For every mile ridden, black cyclists are four and a half more times to be killed than white cyclists. At the same time, Hispanic cyclists and pedestrians also see a higher risk of being killed compared to white Americans. Oh my God, everything is racist. But it's 2023, and that is in vogue, fashionable. And apparently journalists who write this drivel and only make everything about race or gender or whatever must get paid higher than people who report actual news. A bunch of people who were here illegally living in Texas were gunned down by another illegal immigrant in Texas. And the media is going crazy, not because there was a mass murder involving children, but because the governor and the people of Texas are calling for the illegal immigration to be reined in. The suspect in a Texas mass shooting has simply vanished and authorities have zero leads. The man was said to have used, ready for this, the evil semi-automatic AR-15 rifle when he slayed five of his neighbors. He supposedly has slipped past local, state, and federal law enforcement dragnet put into place. The man suspected of using the evil AR-15 rifle to kill five of his neighbors execution style has continued to elude an army of law enforcement hunting for him outside of Houston over the weekend. Francisco Oropesa is 38 years old. He is an illegal immigrant who has been deported from the United States at least three times, and I believe the number is actually five times. He has slipped away from more than 150 law enforcement officers in the Cleveland, Texas area, about 45 miles north of Houston. On Sunday, more than 250 officers continued the search for this illegal criminal alien. Sean Crawford is a neighbor. He said he knows Oropesa and he knows the victims. He described the community as family-oriented and the suspect as a family guy. Crawford said of Oropesa, He's always working, training his horse. Never have I seen a fight, argument, raise his voice, anything. Complaints about gunfire in the past were easily addressed, or Apeza would move to another side of his property. San Jacinto County Sheriff Greg Capers acknowledged previous reports of gunfire, which might have been illegal, according to the sheriff, depending on the size of his property. But even though he is an illegal criminal who has been deported multiple times, the media is pissed because people like Steve Z in the Truth Hurts program, the governor of Texas, and other law enforcement people are calling him what he is, an illegal, criminal, law-breaking, trespassing migrant, a multi-time offender who has court records for drunk driving convictions as far back as 2012 
and that stemmed from a Texas Highway Patrol arrest in 2009, which matched the suspect's name and birth date, saying he has been in the area for more than a decade. Capers has vowed to give the search his full attention as adjacent agencies, the Texas Public Safety Department, the FBI, and the ATF have joined the hunt. They're pissed. All of the victims were believed to be from Honduras, and the shooter, a Mexican national living illegally in the United States. Reward money is now totaling $80,000 to find this guy. But the media is more concerned with you and I calling the shooter an illegal immigrant and the victims illegal immigrants, despite the fact that they are indeed illegal immigrants. Nope, the media wants you to believe that it was just a family guy who used an evil AR-15 rifle to do this. So they're trying to focus your attention on the rifle, on the AR-15. It was not the rifle who shot these people. It was the execution-style headshots performed by a man who did this out of hatred in his heart. Prayers and thoughts to the family of the victims, but quit trying to downplay the fact that if our border was secure, none of this would have happened. The illegal immigrant family wouldn't be here, and the illegal immigrant shooter would not be here. Folks, I've run out of time for this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. We'll see you next time. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I apologize if you are offended, but I retract nothing. Background music courtesy of Jason Shaw and Audio Nautics. Copyright 2023, the Truth Hurts program network. All rights reserved. <laughs>